Well, the federal government today introduced new legislation aimed at reforming Canada's bail system. This comes after months and many calls for tougher laws from provinces and territories. Take a quick listen to this from the federal justice minister, David Lametti. The goal of Bill C-48 is improving public safety. At the same time, we want to make sure that these law reforms do not make things worse for Indigenous people, Black people, and other vulnerable groups who we know are overrepresented in the criminal justice system. This was recognized in the communique following our FPT meeting in March, and I know this is a priority that my provincial and territorial counterparts share. So what does this legislation actually aim to do? Rob Danu joins us now, former federal Crown prosecutor, also a criminal defense lawyer, co-founder of Danu Dhaliwal Law Group. But thank you so much for being here. My pleasure, Jill, and uh, kudos for bringing this topic up uh, for your audience. It is important. Well, it is important, and I think there is there is already a bit of pushback looking at what Bill C-48 is proposing and questions about whether or not this is actually going to make communities safer, which is something that the federal minister said. Uh, can we go through a little bit of what's created it or what's included in this bill and uh, get your take on that? Oh, don't get me started, Jill. So in terms of the bill itself, the, uh, it, it brings changes to the bail system. So those that are charged with a serious violent offense with a weapon, mind you, uh, and who've been convicted of a similar offense within the last five years, they're going to be in what's called a reverse onus situation. And what that means is that the defense or the accused is going to have to show a judge why they should be released on bail rather than the prosecutor having to show that. And, and do you think that will make a difference? Well, there's only one problem with the legislation, Jill, and I think that's going to have negligible uh, to no real effect on you know, what the real issue is these days, which is the what well, we what the perceived issue, anyways, which is increasing random violent crime. If we take a look at the crime statistics, crime continues to go down generally as it has for many years. But when we watch the news, when we watch social media, when we walk in our cities, we see what appears to be more random violence. And people are concerned, and they should be. We want these cities uh, and our streets to be safe for ourselves and our children. So Bill C-48 is it's a political response to this problem. And I emphasize the word political because, in my view, it does nothing to address the actual root cause of increased random violence that we're seeing. Right. And being whether it's mental illness or, or what it is that's causing somebody to, to do this, so to be well, the, the perpetrator of, of these random like random attacks. Exactly. You've hit the nail on the head. And I think we all know what is really going on in a general way. So I'll say there's three primary issues. Number one, homelessness. And that's related, to, related of course, to the cost of living crisis. Number two, it's mental health, just as you've indicated, Jill. Uh, issues related to the pandemic, the continued lack of resources, and we've been talking about that for years and years. And number three, the fentanyl crisis and the addiction issue that goes along with that. So those are the three primary issues on a very macro view. These are all very tough issues that require a lot of money, a lot of will, a lot of time to address. And as usual, in terms of the political response, it's a lot easier, quicker, and cheaper to beat the drum of getting tough on crime. Right. And so will this, though, I mean, is this much different than uh, in the past when uh, under the Conservative government uh, bringing in mandatory minimums? Is, isn't this a similar type of tactic as far as uh, when, when we're talking about dealing with crimes after they've been committed? 
Well, absolutely, because our bail system and our bail laws already address these issues. If, if an accused person goes to court and they have a history of violence and they've committed another violent act, the judge is going to take that into account in terms of whether it's actually necessary to um, release them or, or not, or whether they should be uh, uh, kept in custody. And a judge will keep that individual in custody if it's appropriate. And the Supreme Court of Canada, Section 11 of our charter, guarantees the right to reasonable bail. So what we're trying to do is we're striving for a balance in Canada between keeping our streets safe and maintaining a free and democratic society. If you want laws to make a difference, you have to difference. You have to get extreme. You have to do what uh, we see in authoritarian states and go to the extreme end of the spectrum. When you when you say that though that judges do have that discretion and they're going to look at somebody's past history, but and which they do, but then we also keep hearing these stories about somebody who's been arrested and oh he's been or she has been you know arrested more than a hundred times or has this this long history. So I, th- I think while we know that judges have that discretion, we're also seeing so many cases of people and and the questions are being asked. Well, why was that person out at all? Exactly. So what a judge does, he has to, or he or she has to balance uh, the what's going on with the accused person before them. So if an individual has a mental health history or has um, uh, any type of history that can be dealt with, with reasonable conditions of bail, the judge is going to release them. But when we, when we have prolific offenders, we do see those individuals being kept in custody. So what we don't hear about in the news is when an individual has a long record and they are detained. They're actually kept in custody. We only hear the stories about when they're released. Right. And, and so when you talk, though, about uh, different, uh, different systems that we've seen in, in other kind of more authoritarian states, what would, what would the, the main difference then be as far as I'm not suggesting that that's what people want here, although I, I think some do when we open up the phone lines, but what, what would that look like if we went at least even a little bit down that road? Well, you can't go a little bit down the road. If you want to actually have laws make a difference, you have to go all the way down the road. If you go a little way down the road, then you get what, what, what's happening in the United States. You know, they're very tough on crime in the United States, both in terms of bail and sentence. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, why isn't the United States one of the safest places on Earth? It's not. So if you want to have laws make a difference, you have to go to extreme punishments like you see in Singapore or the United Arab Emirates, where you have individuals who are sentenced to death for uh, trafficking very small amounts of narcotics. Hmm. And again, I don't think anyone's suggesting that that's what we should be doing here. But getting back to what you mentioned, and that's looking at the core root of, of why these crimes are happening, why we're seeing stranger attacks and, and why this is happening. Uh, is that something that that could be done alongside these reforms to the bail system? Or would that be a better way of looking at it? Well, absolutely. And the problem is, once again, it's a long-term solution. It requires a lot of resources, and it's not politically expedient. So the easiest thing to do is what we're seeing, and what we see over and over, there's, there's a pendulum, and we see the same be- drum beaten uh, after a certain number of years uh, when these issues arise. So absolutely, we can, do, we, can have bail, we can have reform in the law if it's needed, and we should also be addressing the root causes at the same time. And that's the only way to actually deal with these issues.
so looking again at this, this idea of the reverse onus and uh, the bill specifically targeting repeat offenders in cases that involve any kind of weapon, uh, it's expanded, I think, the firearms offenses that, that would trigger that reverse onus. Uh, how long do you think does something like this need to be in place or, or will we potentially start seeing differences if it is passed once it's in place? No, my view is that you are, we are not going to see a difference with this legislation in place. The system that we have is going to function very similarly to what it does um, now. And until we actually address the root problems, uh, we are not going to see um, anything that will move the, um, move the metric in any way. You know, we only have to ask one question to see whether this legislation will actually address the cause of increased random violence. And that is, if bail laws are the problem, then why didn't we see this level of random violence pre-pandemic? Because bail laws have not changed in any significant way during that time. Right. No, it's it's very, very uh, true. All right, Rob, thank you so much uh, for joining the show, for talking more about this. Thank you, Jill.